Oh, great to be here. Good to see you guys. I'm like watching the bump. That's really cool. And I'm like, oh, that's my cue. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to get up there. That's right. I forgot. I just got so into worship because our teams are incredible. Can we give it up for our worship? Wow. Unbelievable. Man, every campus is so blessed to have great worship. We really are thankful here at Church Unlimited for that. We're just so thankful. One of the keys to worship being, being so good here is that I don't sing. That's one of the keys, okay? So I'm very grateful for, for that, that our bands, just, they blow my mind. So glad you guys are here. We're excited about talking about Rated R. We've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, and this is our last installment of that before we start a new series next week. More on that in a minute, but I just want to say thank you for dropping your kids off at Kids Unlimited Children's Ministries. First of all, aren't they great? Aren't we grateful for our great Kids Unlimited Children's Ministry? Now, you may not have noticed this, but there's twofold blessings that have been happening. The first is that you are getting a message that is rated R for mature audiences, so it can really help you. But have you noticed how much more focused you are that your kids aren't beside you in church? Let's think about that for a second. Why don't we continue this and you still drop your kids off at Kids Unlimited? It's a blessing for them. It really is. It's a blessing for them. You win, they win, and your neighbor wins too. And so everyone wins on this, and so I want to encourage you to keep that up again. Thanks for being a part of our services uh, today. You know, last week I told you I was going to talk about going from hurting to being happy. Today is really all about that. We're going to show you some steps to do that can really make that happen. Before we get into that, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die Period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. So again, thanks for coming out. Thanks for being here today. I heard about this, uh, this guy named Bubba. He just wasn't getting it, man. He just wasn't understanding. His wife kept complaining to him about their marriage. She was just like, I just don't feel those romantic feelings. We never do anything. We never go out anymore. I just don't feel connected. And he's like, well, I don't know what the problem is. He just wasn't getting it, you know? And he was just like, what? And she's like, you never tell me you love me. He's like, well, I told you once. I, did you forget? I still love you. I mean, he just wasn't getting it. He just totally was clued out, you know. And so she's going to see a counselor, and, and, and the marriage counselor's trying to get him to finally come. So finally she drags him to marriage counseling. He doesn't want to go. They plop down on the couch. He's like, I don't know why I need to be here. I mean, I'm married still. It's good, you know. And so he just wasn't getting it. So the counselor's trying to explain to him what's missing. And he's, she, you know, the counselor's like, look, you need to be romantic. You need to write her love notes. You need to be kind to her. You need, you need to talk, talk sweet nothings in her ears. Just be sweet. And he's just like, well, I don't know what all that means. I mean, he's just not getting it at all. You know, finally, he's just not getting through to him. So he goes, this is what I mean. He gets up, walks over, grabs his wife, lifts her up, and to everyone's surprise, plants a huge kiss on his wife's lips, sets her back down and says, that's what she needs. She needs that at least twice a week. And he's like, well, okay, I can bring her body of maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays. What do you do when you're just not getting it, right? It's like, man, we are really not connecting here. Well, I believe that one of the biggest issues in marriage today is actually pretty simple. We think sometimes like, oh, I know what we need to do is spice things up with this and that in the bedroom. That's the key, right? Well, there's nothing wrong with those things, but the world keeps selling us that that's what it is. That's the key. You know, you got to try this position and that position. Listen, I don't care if you're doing a naked pretzel or not. That's really not going to work. Don't Google that. That may be something. I don't know. Don't actually Google that. But that, that's, that's not really going to be the key. The key may really surprise you, but what happens is, is we, we start to offend each other. We don't realize it, but we do. We just, we offend each other. I mean, I don't know what it is, but the harshest things we typically say to someone, we say to our spouse. I mean, it shouldn't be this way, but if for some reason we're so comfortable with them 
that we end up offending him. I don't mean to offend my wife, I just do. I'm apparently natural at it. I didn't know this, you know. But we all tend to do that, and we don't even mean to do it. So what happens is we offend each other, and then we don't really get it right. So we still have this little bitty brick of offense, and we put that one brick down. And over the years, you offend them, and they put a brick down, and then they offend you, you put a brick down. Instead of getting that right, eventually you got a little wall building here. And then one day that wall gets so big that you tell your friends and your family, well, we just, we just never really loved each other. Yeah, you did. You just let all those offenses build up and build up and build up. And eventually you can hardly even see eye to eye anymore because there's this wall of offense between you. So what I'm going to talk about today may surprise you, but I want, I want you to grab something to write with because I'm going to give you some notes. I promise you we're going to be practical today in a big way. So here's the thing. You may be saying, well, I mean, I know I offended her or I offended him, but I apologize, but they still bring it up. You ever felt that way? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? They're like, I apologized, but they don't seem like they heard it. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Or they, they actually, or how about this one? You may say, well, they never even apologized. This may surprise you, but they may have apologized and you didn't hear it. Or you've apologized and they didn't hear it. Now, let me tell you why that's the case. Did you know that there are five basic ways that people like to be apologized? There's not one way to do it. Did you know that? There are five apology languages that we use. So could it be that you've offended your spouse, you went and you told them you're sorry, they didn't hear it because you spoke a different language than they need to hear. So you're missing each other. So I wanna give you the five apology language. I'm gonna give you something to write down. So grab a pen, grab a paper, turn to the person next to you and tell them, you need this. Just let them know right now, you definitely need this. And then turn back and say, that offends me. You need to apologize right now. So today we're gonna to unpack that. So how do you apologize? Now, sometimes it can mean, you know, I need to apologize because I popped off, because I was snappy. And, you know, maybe, maybe for you, you think, you know, I just, you know, maybe something little, maybe something big, I don't know. It could be something really big. Maybe, maybe uh, your spouse was flirty at the Christmas party and you're really offended by it. Or, or maybe, you know, something uh, even bigger than that happened. Or maybe something small. Maybe just someone's moody a lot. Maybe just someone seems to snap at you or, or, or you feel like you're being talked down to and offended you. All kinds of things happen, right? So how do you work through those offenses? How do you, how do you get through those, those situations? Well, I want to give you five simple things to write down, five ways that we can learn to apologize. And then I'm going to ask you at the end to circle the one that fits you. So one of these five is going to jump out. You're going to go, oh, yeah, that, that, that's it, that's it. That means that's yours, okay? So there's five ways. So here we go. You ready? You guys ready? All right, let's jump in. Here we go. Five, the five apology languages. This is based upon a book uh, called The Five Apology Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. I love all his materials. Really good stuff. But really, this is also based upon the Bible. I can show you all five of these apology languages in the Bible, which is what we're going to do. Look at Lamentations chapter one. I'm sure you've been reading Lamentations all week long. Lamentations chapter one. Some of you are like, that's in the Bible? It is. Verse 20. It says, Lord, see my anguish. My heart is broken and my soul despairs for I have rebelled against you. Wow. This is a big apology. He's saying, oh God, my heart breaks for the way I've offended you. That's a great way to apologize, isn't it? See, I immediately related to this one because I think this is where I'm at. And that not everyone's gonna be here, but this one really speaks to me. I was like, that's all I need. I just need you to really sincerely mean it. You know, in fact, if you find yourself complaining to your spouse about their apology, going, I don't feel like you really meant that. What that means is you don't feel like they, number one, expressed regret. So would you write that down? The first apology language is expressing regret. Now, let me just tell you how not to do it. I, I was going over my notes with my team yesterday, and one of them said, you know what, this really bothers me. And you can tell there's some passion in her eyes. She said, it bothers me 
when someone says to me, hey, I'm really sorry if I offended you. She said the word if ruined the whole thing. Because see, when you say, I'm sorry if I offended you, what you're saying is, well, we know you have a problem, so maybe you have an issue, so if I offended you and your weirdness, that's what you're actually saying. <laughs> so it's really not an apology at all if you say, I'm sorry if I offended you. Just go ahead and skip the if and just say, I'm really sorry that I offended you. Take out the if, replace it with that. I'm really sorry that I offended you. And you said, well, what if I didn't offend him? Then I'll let you know. You ever apologize to someone and they, you find out you didn't offend them? That's happened to me. Hey, I'm really sorry I offended you. And they're like, oh. Oh, you didn't? I'm like, oh, even better. Oh, I, I didn't, good, I'm glad I didn't. I, I just, I thought maybe I did. That's okay, if you miss the market, it's okay. But take out the if and just, oh, just own it and just say, I, wanted, I just wanna say I'm really sorry that I offended you. Sorry I said that, sorry I talked that way, sorry I snapped. I'm just, I'm just, I'm really sorry. I, I regret, I wish I could go back in time and not have done that. I'm just, I'm really sorry. So expressing regret is the first way that we show that we are sorry and that we apologize. The second one is also very important. Number two is accepting responsibility. So the first is to express regret. The second one is to accept responsibility. Now, look, look, look at this. Luke chapter 15, verse 18. This is the prodigal son. He goes back to his father. Here's what happened. Um, he said, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'm 18 now. I know everything there is to know about life. Give me my money. I'm out. So the, the custom was if they asked, then you, you apparently have to do it. So he he did it. This is the Jewish custom back in the day. So he gives him his inheritance. And I can just tell you right now, it's never a good idea to put a lot of money in 18-year-old's hands. I can tell you what's going to happen. And so, I mean, just, just go ask, you know, 18 to 20, whatever. I mean, typically, we're not really that smart with money. We may think we are, but we're not at that age. And, and just go ask any former NFL player. They wish they could go back and, like, could you just give me the money when I'm 30? You know, not when I'm 21, right? Because then they have nothing left. And so that's basically what happened. He goes, he blows his money on fast women, fast cars, fast lifestyle. So sure enough, he has nothing left. You know, you ever see those guys with the entourage around them? That looks real cool in the movies, but really that means they're all hanger-oners, and they're just sucking the money off you, pretty much what that means. And so that's kind of what happens. He goes out, spins it all, blows it. Now he's totally broke, can't even feed himself, goes back to his father, and he says this. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. So he owns it. The person who wants to be apologized this way Accepting responsibility, they want you to own it. That it is your fault, you did it, do you own it? Now, look at this next scripture. Psalms 51 verse three in the Amplified says, for I am conscious of my transgressions and I acknowledge them. My sin is ever before me. Now, let me tell you how not to do this. When you go up and you say, well, I'm really sorry, but you know it's been a rough week. Well, I'm really sorry, but you know my boss is all over me. Well, I'm really sorry, but I'm really stressed. I'm really sorry, but it's my time of the month. Listen, when they say it's my time of the month, you say back to him, you say, I don't care if it's your time of the month, right, ladies? <laughs> you didn't know that men have a time of the month too? They do. I didn't even know to do that, but they, they actually do. And so, anyways, the, the truth is, is what we're doing is we're blaming something else. We're blaming our boss. We're blaming our stress. You know, I'm really sorry I snapped at you. I'm just tired. No, instead, you say, you know, I'm really sorry I snapped at you, and I'm tired, but that's no excuse. Like, just because I'm tired doesn't mean you, you deserve to be snapped at. Just because I'm stressed at work doesn't mean I should come home and take it out on you. Just because I have a difficult time doesn't mean that you deserve the worst of me. And so we have to own it instead of blaming something else. You know how you spell blame? Be lame. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't blame others. Instead, just own it and admit that it's on you. I blew it, honey. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have raised my voice. I shouldn't have got angry. I shouldn't have said what I said. It's on me, and I'm sorry. And so you just have to accept 
responsibility. The third one's a big one. Number three is making restitution. Now, for those of you who are high justice in the audience, this is probably the one you're going to love because it seems justice, it seems like justice is happening when someone offends you that they do something to make up for that. Let me show you the scripture. Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus had stolen from people virtually his whole life. He was a tax collector, and that doesn't mean work for the IRS. It means that he was, a, they, they had, in their system, they had privatized tax collection. So the government would say, look, we want 10%. Whatever you can get off them is, all, is on you, which is very corrupt, of course. So they would go and say, we want 20%, and they would keep half of it for themselves, right? And so it was very, very corrupt. And so these tax collectors were very wealthy. They, they were basically like the mafia getting taxes from you. It was very ugly and very scary. And, and so that's how Zacchaeus rolled. So he basically stole and connived and manipulated people into getting, giving him more money than he'd pay the pittance to the, to the government. And he'd keep most of it. So that's why he was so hated. Jesus went to his house and uh, he became a disciple of Christ. And after he became a disciple of Christ, here's what happened. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, Sir, from now on, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I find I have overcharged anyone on his taxes, I will penalize myself by giving him back four times as much. Jesus told him, this shows that salvation has come to his, this home today. Now, it didn't say, Jesus didn't say, this saved you. Don't confuse this. It didn't say, this saved you. It says, this shows that you are saved. This, is, this shows that you've repented and turned to me. This doesn't mean that that's what saved you. Don't confuse that. So let me, let me tell you why I say this. If you go to your spouse transactionally wise, if you say, you know what, hey, baby, I know I really offended you, what's it gonna take? 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks? They're gonna be offended. Like, what? This isn't a transaction. This isn't a business deal. That's very offensive. That's not what we're talking about here. Making restitution sounds like this. You say, wow, I, I blew it. I'm so sorry. In my effort to turn around and recognize that I'm an idiot and I should, never should have said that, never should have done that, I just, I'm really sorry, and then you say something like this. How can I make this up to you? What could I do to make this better for you? Let's say this last week you blew Valentine's Day. I hope you didn't, but let's just say you did in the last you know, week and a half here, you blew it. Then you go to your spouse and say, baby, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know that you expected more than I did, and I'm, I'm so sorry that I did not treat you like you deserve to be treated on Valentine's Day. Is there any way we could shoot out a week or two and we could plan a makeup Valentine's Day. I'm gonna get it right. See, that's making restitution. That's getting it right. Now, it's important that the, 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 uh, the, the restitution needs to match the crime, okay? Uh, this happened years ago, but there was a, this is a true story. There was a, um, a newspaper editor uh, that ran a newspaper in London. There was a brand new parliament, parliament member that had just come into parliament, and he was young. He's kind of a freshman learning his way. Well, this newspaper man just ripped him on the front page of their paper several days in a row, pretty harsh. Well, they happened to all be at this party. They didn't even know they were there. The newspaper guy walks into the men's room to go to the restroom. When he walks in, this guy from parliament that he defended is in the bathroom, right? So he walked up, he sees him, he was like, oh, wow, this is, this is awkward. Hi, I'm so-and-so, and the parliament shakes his hand and goes, yeah, I know who you are. He says, hey, listen, I just want to stop and tell you, I'm, I'm really sorry. I mean, really, I, I shouldn't have said those things about you in the paper, and I just want you to hear my sincere apology. The young man said, you know what? All is forgiven. But next time this happens, can you offend me in the men's room and write the apology in the paper? <laughs> Don't we do that? We offend in a big way. You're like, ah, oh, we do something huge and big and super offensive to our spouse, and we go, sorry. And then we wonder why it doesn't match. So restitution is a real thing, and there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, how can I make up 
for this with you. Not everyone is this way, but some people, this is a big thing for them, and they want to see some restitution. You may say, well, I don't, I don't think it's right. I don't know why I have to do something for them. Well, okay, let's put it this way. This is biblical. It's in the Bible, but also, let me just give you an example. Uh, it doesn't mean that you do it uh, to... to uh, to make a transaction happen, it means that you show that you love them. For example, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So what you're saying is, I'm really sorry. I know I blew it. I'd like to demonstrate that I really am sorry and I'd like to do something different. I'd like to do something for you. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. Hey, before we go any further, next week, we start a brand new series. Please check out this video. Nobody cares about me. I'll just have one more. My life is perfect. Church is a waste of time. If I just had, then I'd finally be happy. But that's a lie. What if I were to tell you that the very area you're dysfunctioning in your life, whatever area that is, you've bought into a lie? That there's a lie that keeps that problem that struggle alive. So I wanna challenge those next week. I wanna encourage you to be here because we, don't, we, we forget that there is an enemy and he's called the devil and he's also called the father of what? Lies. So be sure to join us next week. In fact, here's the thing, next week we're gonna set you free in whatever area that's holding you back. I wanna encourage you to be here. In fact, I wanna challenge you to bring a friend. How many right now across all of our campuses right now would say, you know what? I can bring someone next week to church. I will bring someone to help them find Christ and to be set free. Who would, who would commit to that? Would you raise your hand if you'll commit to that? Wow, awesome. Thank you, all 10 of you. So right now, <laughs> I want to challenge you that the Bible says to go and make disciples. One of the challenges is in Acts 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses is what it says. It doesn't say if you feel like you be my witnesses, if you like every series we do be my witnesses, if you're up to the challenge, you know it says you will be my witnesses. So I want to challenge you that last time I checked, our mission statement is to do what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. So let me ask those of you who will bring someone next week with him. And let me remind you, though, you say, well, I'm not really into that. I mean, I'm more into just growing my faith and being deep in the Lord and just really maturing my faith. You know, I understand that. But you know what? Rescues are always in deep water. Rescues are always in deep water. So I want to challenge you, do the deepest, most spiritually significant, most spiritually mature thing you could possibly ever do and bring someone to church with you to hear about the love of Jesus and help get them to heaven. So now having said that, now that I've thoroughly guilted you, how many of you will bring someone to church with you next week? Hold your hand high. Come on, let's do this. Not out of guilt, but out of what? Out of love for God. I care enough about my friends to make sure that they know the Lord. I wanna challenge you to bring someone with you next week. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Let's fill this place so God can be glorified when your friends and your family receive Christ. Be sure to be here next week. Bring someone with you. I promise you it will be worth it. Next week, the lies that we believe, be sure to be here for that. Guys, honestly, let me just challenge you one last thing. I'll get back to the sermon, I promise. When's the last time you brought someone to church? Well, I just want to ask you, really, when's the last time you brought someone to church? A month ago? Two months ago? Three months ago? If you hadn't brought someone to church in the last six months, can I just tell you right now? You're underperforming in the kingdom of God. I'm just going to call you out on it. You're being one of God's worst employees. You're not doing what you're being asked to do. If you work for Honda and you hadn't sold a Honda in six months, they will let you go. <laughs> you are wasting space on the payroll, right? 
Why is it that when we got saved, why weren't we zapped to heaven immediately? Because we're supposed to now be the Jesus salesman, the Jesus saleswomen, right? And so will you do your job and bring someone into God's house to hear about, oh, but I don't have the right word to say, Pastor, I'm not really good at that. I don't, I don't know. All, they're going to ask me a theological question. I'm not going to know the answer to. How do I deal with that? Okay, let's practice right now. Turn to first next year right now. We're going to practice inviting someone to church. Ready? Say this. Say, hey, want to come church with me? Just try it, just try it. Let's do it one more time. I know it's complicated. I know there's a lot of theological stuff in there. Let me try it one more time. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Hey, want to come to church with me? Now let's pretend they ask you some huge theological question or bring up some big philosophical debate. And so let me, let me give you the right theological answer. Here it is. You ready? I don't know. <laughs> try that. Ready, ready. I don't know. Want to come to church with me? Did you get that? Everybody got it now? You are well equipped to do your job this week. Good job. You're ready. Tell them the same thing I tell them. Google it. I don't know. Okay. All right. Let's back to the scripture here. So we know that if we're going to apologize correctly, we need to either express our regret, accept responsibility, three, make restitution, right? Or four, genuinely repent. Genuine repenting, what does that look like? Matthew 3, 8 says, do the things that show you really have changed your hearts and your lives. So genuine repenting looks like this. You're walking in a certain direction and you turn around. Repent literally means to turn around. It means to go the exact opposite direction. Straight up, whatever you've been walking up to doing, it's time to moonwalk out of that, right? I am not going to go near that anymore. So you have to be willing to do that, to say, I'm done with that. I'm gonna back off, I'm gonna walk away. So here is the person who wants genuine repentance. They're the one that says, I know you're saying you're sorry, but what are you going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? Right? Some of you just lit up, oh, that's mine. <laughs> right? And so number four, genuine repenting. This is, this is where you go to your spouse and you say, baby, I'm really sorry. I totally blew it. I shouldn't have done that. And then you say something like this. So here's my plan to try not to ever do that again. Here's my plan to never say that again. Here's my plan to go in the opposite direction of that. That's what they're looking for. It's really not sorry until they know you actually are sorry by doing something different. Does that make sense? Okay, so genuine repenting. And number five, the last one. This may surprise you, but it may seem simple, but it's not. Asking for forgiveness. You're like, but isn't that what the whole thing's about? No, this is different. Because some people just say they're sorry, but they didn't ask for forgiveness. So what does, mean? what does that mean? Psalms 54 says this, verse four. You're the one I violated, and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. Wow, this is David speaking. David says to God, God, you know everything I've done wrong. And so God, do with me what you want, whatever you decide. Now, he was hoping that a loving God would forgive him, and the loving God did forgive him, but he was putting the power where it always was anyways, which was in God's hand. Let me tell you why this is a big deal. David had everyone around him on his payroll. I mean, he's a very powerful guy. So everyone around him was on the dole from David. I mean, there's not a single person in his life that wasn't paid by him, taken care of by him. His whole world, he was a king, right? So for him, he was all powerful. So he could easily look at anyone and say, sorry, and even if they were still offended, they would just have to suck it up because that's King David, right? So then you wonder why David was always having these stressful relationships with people all throughout his kingdom. Why? Because he could just do what he wanted and pretty much get away with it because he was a king. Are you, are you a husband or wife in your home or are you the king or queen of your home? 
This is a big deal because if, if you have too much power, then what happens is you, just, you do something super offensive and you look at your wife or your husband and go, sorry, I'm really sorry. And maybe you're sincere, but that, that, that didn't come across sincere because the power is still in your hand. Maybe you're one of these really strong personality persons and you're married to kind of a wallflower person that's real quiet and just supportive of you, and that's really sweet to do that way, but then it's easy to run over them. So this one may be what they need is for you to say, I'm, I'm really sorry, will you forgive me? Which means I put the power in your hands now to choose whether you forgive me. Don't be surprised if they take that power and say, give me a day. Whoa. What are they really saying? What they're really saying is, can I just hold this power for a second because I never have it? And then eventually, a day later, or maybe an hour later, maybe in a few minutes later, or maybe half a minute later, they may say, I forgive you. This person often will say, thank you for asking me to forgive you. Like, thank you for giving me the choice that I have and, ha- and have had, but you never really give it to me. So thank you for doing that. So will you forgive me is also very appropriate. Now I wanna enter a bit of a rated R time if I can real quick, because I wanna take a couple things real quick about divorce, if I can for just a second. The Bible's pretty clear. I'm not gonna do a study on divorce today, but the Bible says God hates divorce. Now let me just tell you why he hates divorce. I wanna point something down. God never says he hates divorcees. He doesn't say he hates people who got a divorce. Okay, so don't walk around feeling guilty for that. Why does God hate divorce? Because he knows what it does to you and to your children. Because he doesn't want you to put yourself in more pain. Now you may say, I gotta get out of my marriage, it's so horrible, I need a divorce. Okay, well there are a few occasions for that that the Bible allows. The Bible does not recommend, but it does allow. The only three that I can see in Scripture, the one is very explicit, the other ones are, are implicit, okay? Which means it says it clearly in one case, and the other two, you can imply it from Scripture. And most theologians agree, and it's not all. There are some people that will disagree with me. I'm okay with that. I'm just going to share these with you. I'm not trying to encourage you to do this, but I, just, I, I do feel like in today's world, it is 2019, you should at least know what does the Bible have to say about these things, okay? So just real quick, I want to mention three the first is the Bible does clearly say that, if, that in the case of adultery, you can, if you'd like to, leave your marriage. Now, the Bible does not recommend it, doesn't encourage it. In fact, there's lots of examples in the Bible where people had committed adultery, even repeatedly, and they stayed with their spouse. And let me just tell you that from my experience with couples that I've dealt with a lot in our ministry, that typically, and marriage counselors have the stats to prove it, typically when a man especially has committed adultery, he typically does not do it again. He feels so much remorse, so much guilt, so much embarrassment, so much shame, he typically does not repeat that. Having said that, the stats are there because there are a handful of men and women, by the way, it goes both ways, that repeatedly do it. So you need to be very careful and listen very carefully to that apology, and if it feels cheap, it may be, Okay? So that, that's a big deal. I'm not telling you to divorce your spouse. I'm not telling you not to. I'm telling you that's not my choice. That's yours. And the Bible does give you that out if you'd like it. I don't recommend it. I still don't recommend it. I know lots of couples that come to our church that you would never know that they have been through infidelity and are doing great now. Lots of couples that get through this, okay? So just know your only option isn't to leave. You do have an option to stay and work that out. I believe it's the heart of God to do everything you can to make your marriage work. Very clear about that, okay? Two other possibilities. Yeah, yeah, let's give. Hey, fidelity works. Infidelity makes people fall apart, but fidelity works too, saying I'm committed to you and I'm gonna gonna stay with you. Now, two other options, uh, two other possibilities. One is implied in scripture, which is abuse. 
Uh, I want to talk just a moment, if I can, about this. I'm not going to go real long, but let me just say this. David was abused by Saul, and God told David, get out of that house. Okay? So we can imply from that that if you are physically in harm's way, if your spouse is putting a hand to you, it is not, listen very carefully, it is not God's will for you to be hit. That is not God's intention. And if, if you are, my recommendation is you tell your husband or boyfriend, because it's typically a man hitting a woman, you tell your husband or your boyfriend, you will not lift a finger against me again. If you do, we're done. I think that's very fair. The Bible is very clear on this. And at the very least, if you really are in harm's way and you are nervous about something happening at any moment, which means you're ready to explode at any point, I'd get out of the house. And I would take the kids, of course, with you. And I would get out of there. And so the Bible is very clear. God is not God's will for you to be beat, okay? Now, and I will go, go so far as to say this. I have recommended this many times, um, but let me be real clear. If he hurt your feelings, mm, mm, that's not abuse, okay? It's not right. He shouldn't be calling you names and things. I know you said, but there's such thing as emotional abuse. There is. I'm not making light of this, and that should certainly be addressed. And if that were to continue in a very high-level manipulative way, by all means, I can, I can classify that as abuse. But I'm going to be honest with you. I see a lot of people using that really loosely. Well, they're just crazy. Everyone says their ex is crazy. I mean, I guess half the world's crazy, I guess. Or maybe we're just using terms that help us justify what we want to do. So let's just be a little more honest about it, okay? Not half the world's crazy. I think we use that as a way to get out of something we want to get out of. But you, you're, you made a covenant. You're supposed to keep that covenant. So if there is uh, some, some emotional abuse, I think you should have a professional counselor explain it to you, a Christian counselor. And if your counselor's been divorced three times, that's the wrong counselor. <laughs> I mean, that should be kind of obvious, but I would ask that question, okay? So I happen to know a few locally that are great counselors. I recommend over and over people to go to them. And I've asked them across the table what their views on these issues are, and they've explained them clearly, and I felt good enough to say, okay, I'll recommend people to you. Because I want to know where you're saying, you better have a high view of marriage. You don't have a high view of marriage, don't go to that counselor. Okay? So the second one is abuse, and the third one is abandonment. Abandonment means they literally just split on you. And you're like, well, I don't even know where they are. Or let me just add, there's a gray area between these two of, of abuse and abandonment that I'd like to include in here that can happen, doesn't always happen. But if you have a spouse that has essentially abandoned all responsibility to you and to the kids for the drug of choice that they are hooked on, I believe that could be seen as abandonment, but I'll be real careful here. If they take an occasional hit of something, I'm not recommending to do that at all. That's not really the level of abandonment. What I'm talking about, and I've faced this a lot of times in our church, I'm talking about the lady who someone walks in their front door that they don't know, scares the kids and them half to death because it's a drug dealer that has your key because your spouse gave the key to them so they could come and take whatever they want so they could get another drug from them. That, that doesn't happen, Pastor Bill. It happens every day. That someone's so addicted, they run out of cash, and they're like, here's the key to my house, just get what you want. If you are that foolish, you have essentially abandoned yourself and the safety of your children and your family to your drug of choice. So I would say that is abandonment, but I still don't necessarily think you divorce them on the spot. I think you separate and have a counselor help you figure all that out. Does that make sense, guys? I want to be real clear here. Did I recommend anyone getting divorced today? Did I recommend that? Thank you. Please do not misquote me. It's not fair, but I have to take this risk of sharing these things with you because my job is supposed to really help you and explain the word of God to you, okay? So again, these are options if they are the absolute last resort, but God wants you to be faithful, do everything in your power 
And if things just aren't happening after all of that, go get some help. Don't make the decision on your own. Talk with someone. We are here for you as a church as well. Okay, so after all five of these, let's get back to the message now. After all five of these ways to apologize, go ahead and circle the one that fits you the most, that lit you up. When I read one of them, you went, oh, that's me, right? Circle that one for you. How many of you guys already have one in mind right now that you're like, I already know which one I am. How many of you guys already know that? Okay, how many of you guys think you know your spouses? You're thinking, oh, I know who they are, right? Okay, go ahead and peek over at their notes and see which one they wrote down and circle. Because you may be surprised, you may go, oh, I thought I knew them. I don't, right? You may be trying to make restitution. They're looking at you going, I don't care about that. I want you to own it, right? Or they may be saying, I'm so sorry. I'm such a loser. I'm just, and they're like, I don't care about that. What's your plan? <laughs> right? So which one is it? You need to know which one it is for them. Find out which one means the most of them, and you better start apologizing in their language if you think you're going to get somewhere. Quit apologizing in your language. Start apologizing in their language, because remember this. When it comes to apologizing, you may want to write this down. When it comes to apologizing, it only works on the offended's terms. Let me say that again. Apologies only work on the offended person's terms, not on yours, okay? And what's the last thing that I want to leave you with is this. The only proper response when someone apologizes to you is to forgive them. Luke chapter 17 says this. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. So call them out. Nothing wrong with that. Then it says, and if there is a repentance, then what? You must forgive. So the Bible doesn't give us an option. We're, so there's all kinds of ways to apologize. There's only one answer, though. Forgive them. Now, you may say, I can't just forgive someone who cheated on me. I can't just forgive someone who stole from me, who lied to me repeatedly. Yeah, you can. Don't confuse forgiveness with trust. You can forgive someone and still end up divorcing them. You can forgive a business partner and still break up the business. You can forgive someone and still not be their friend anymore, not call them up and give them all your secrets. So you can forgive and still trust has to be revealed. Don't confuse forgiveness with trust. There's, people, there's lots of people I've forgiven. I, I don't let them in my world. I don't trust them, but I, do, I still do forgive them. Please don't confuse those two things. My son Cole, when he was little, he was like eight years old. He'd be mad. He'd like hold a grudge, you know. He'd be like, Oof. he'd be offended. He'd go up to his room and be mad, you know. And so he'd, he'd get away from everybody, be like, oh, I'm so mad at you. And he'd storm, storm off. And it was so cute, though, because his, his cheeks were just so fluffy and fat that it was hard to take him serious when he's mad. I mean, really, he's just so cute. Now he's all stretched out. But at the time, he was a little chubby little guy. And so he'd be like, I'm so mad. You know, and he'd stomp off. So then he'd come back about an hour later, and he'd forgotten that he was mad. And so he'd be like, hey, Dad, blah, 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 we talking. And all of a sudden, he'd go, hey, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be mad at you. And he'd stomp off again. <laughs> he'd forgotten what he was even mad about, but he knows I'm supposed to be still mad. So he'd try to hold on to it. I wonder how many of us have, as adults don't even know why we're still mad at our spouse. Or hold on to it. <clears throat> what Cole didn't realize is by holding on to his anger, he was just ruining his ability to have fun in our family. So when you hold on to that anger that you have for someone, you're not punishing them. They're punishing you. We have to learn to forgive. Or as Jesus says it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, as it says in Scripture, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Christ forgave us. The least we can do is pass that along and forgive others as well. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed. Every eye closed, we take a moment to pray today. Did you know that God loves you so much that he sent his son, 
But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you can do so right now by praying a very simple prayer. You can pray this prayer with me. We're gonna pray it out loud together. You can just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You paid the price for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.